Thanks for joining us for this message from Awakened Church. We believe in the power of God's Word, and we pray that you're encouraged by this message. Now lean in as we hear from God's Word together. And we are starting a new series called Some Assembly Required. And in this series, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be talking about the different relationships that we have. We're going to be talking about um, marriage. We're going to be talking about friendships. We're going to be talking about um, uh, parenting and, and the home and the family life. And today, we're going to be specifically talking about how we were built, we were made for relationships. And uh, we're going to be talking a little bit more even specifically about how we are made for community as well. And uh, uh, every year, I always pray, God, what would you have me teach your people? And uh, every year he's given me an answer, and I feel like we've been doing a good job. And, and I, I love hearing how God is leading us and how he's growing us as a church. And I'm even right now praying for that for 2023. God, what would you have us learn in the new year? And uh, l- last year, late last year, and uh, early this year, I just really felt the Lord put it on my heart to teach about relationships. Because for a lot of you, I've been praying for your marriage. I've been praying for your friendships. I've been praying for your kids, for your family. And so I'm, I'm really excited to see what God's going to do in and through this message uh, and in and through our church as we dive in to see what God's word has to say about relationships. And so to kick off this series, we're going to go to the very first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter one. And if you have a Bible, you could go ahead and turn there. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. We'll have the verses up on the screen as well. Uh, or if you have a smartphone, you could go to the YouVersion Bible app, go to the very bottom, you'll see more. Then you hit the events tab, you'll see the outline, you can take notes, you'll have all the verses there as well. But um, we're going to be going to Genesis chapter 1. And the reason why is because this is where the first place we see community. This is the first place we see relationships take place. And uh, in this series, uh, the reason why I even want us to go to Genesis in the first place is because what we believe about relationships informs how we behave. What you and I believe about relationships will inform how we behave. And it's important for us as believers to know that what God has to say about the relationships that we have. Since he created everything, God has a lot to say and God knows how relationships work best. But here's the reality. You and I, we need to understand this, that there is an enemy and he is actively working to destroy the relationships that we have, the community that we are supposed to have. He is attacking us constantly. And so for the next four weeks, we're going to be looking and unpacking what God's word has to say about relationships. And you need to understand this. God has a lot of wisdom when it comes to relationships. And so I want us to do is I want us to begin to operate from this premise that since God made us and he designed us for <clears throat> Sorry about that. Relationships and community and connection. He knows how best relationships should work. And because he knows how best they should work, God can help us when we're feeling lonely. God can heal our broken marriages. God can heal the friendships that we feel like are broken. Now, I know as soon as I said, let's dig into God's word and see what he has to say about the relationships that we have. Some of you are like, oh, that sounds like bad news. Like, I'm not too excited. You're like a little hot under the collar. You're like, I don't know. Because the reality is we've all failed. We've all messed up in some way. We've made some mistakes. And I think when we say, hey, let's see what God's word has to say about it. I think a lot of times we think of God as this kind of cosmic killjoy. That he's just going to bring shame and judgment and condemnation and and judgment into our relationships. And we're like, I don't know that I want to, to feel that. I don't know that I want to hear what God's word has to say. But Jesus came to bring good news. 
I don't know how many of you believe that here today, but Jesus came to bring good news. He came to bring good news for you. Now, you may not initially receive the good news as good news. It may take a little bit of time, but eventually you'll receive it as good news because it's ultimately for your good. In fact, in Luke chapter 4, Jesus said this about himself. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that the captives will be released, that the blind will see, and that the oppressed will be set free. Jesus came to bring good news to the poor. Now, I think sometimes when you hear the word poor, we automatically, our default setting is to think monetarily poor. There's a lot of ways that you can be poor. You could, be, you could have a lot of money in the bank and still be poor. Some of you here today, you might be spiritually poor, and Jesus came to bring good news to you. You might be here today and you might feel like you're helpless, hopeless in a desperate situation that you're longing for a relationship, longing for connection with God. And Jesus came to bring good news to you. You might be spiritually poor here today, but the good news for you is that Jesus came to this earth, lived the life we could not live, died the death we should have died. And he rose again three days later, conquering sin, death, hell, and the grave so that we could be reconciled right back in a relationship with God the way that he meant it to be. And so if you're here today and you feel spiritually poor, good news. You don't have to leave here spiritually poor anymore. But God also came to bring good news to those of us emotionally and relationally as well. And so that's the tone that I want to establish for this series. And as I've been praying for this series and preparing for this series, I know that there are all kinds of hurt right now. There's all kinds of emotional baggage that we kind of carry. And my prayer last night, as I walked around this room, my prayer is that if you feel relationally poor right now, you would be set free. That Jesus would bring good news to you in your relationship. But if I'm being honest with you all today, I I would say this, that I've got some relational hurt in my life right now too. There's hurt that people have caused me. I know there's hurt that I've caused other people. I've been married for 15 years, 10 of them good, the rest of them my fault, <laughs> because I married a saint. That's who, that's who she is. She is a saint. But when I think about all my relationships as a husband, as a dad, as, as a friend, I think about all of my relationships, I've messed up. I failed. My pride gets in the way more times than I would like to admit. So I'm not up here saying, hey, everybody, do as I do. I'm up here saying as a broke person, as a struggling person in this area, we need all the help we can get from Jesus who came to bring good news for our relationships. And that's why I've called this series, there is good news, or this today's message, there is good news for our relationships. There is good news for our relationships. So Genesis chapter one, we're gonna be looking at chapters one, two, and three. And we're not going to read every single verse in those three chapters. We'll be here a lot longer. But uh, we're going to be looking at different verses in those chapters. And then I'm going to share some thoughts. And then we'll have some action point at the very end of all of this. But Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Some of you don't even need to look. Some of you don't even need to read it. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. See, some of you already know your Bible and you didn't even know it. So you got the most important thing right there. God created the heavens and the earth. Our first point and our thought, first thought today is there is a beginning, so there is purpose. There is a beginning, so there is purpose. 
See, there are some Christians who love to debate and get into arguments about how the beginning went down. I think it's great. I love hearing some of the debates. I like hearing some of the arguments and different theories about how creation went down. But I think sometimes we get so wrapped up in those debates that we forget the most important thing in Genesis 1-1, that there was a beginning and God created everything. Some people like to say, well, is it, is it actual seven days or is it not seven days? I think sometimes God is up in heaven going, man, that's cute. That's spot on. I don't know about that. But I like to think sometimes God's like, hey, everybody, I created everything. I spoke. Things came into existence. And what you believe about the beginning will impact your relationships. See, if you believe that this is all just random by chance, that we all kind of just fell together that we're all just highly evolved animals with urges and desires and needs, and it doesn't really matter how we treat one another. There's no reason to respect life. There's no reason that we should observe any kind of morality. There's no reason why we shouldn't kill or injure anyone. If this is all just by accident, there is no purpose, then what are we doing? But if you're here today and you believe that there was a beginning, And there was a creator, and it was God who had intentional purpose and design that radically changes everything. See, if God created you, then you are not insignificant, no matter what other people or your circumstances might tell you. See, David, knowing that God made him, he could say in Psalm 139, one of my favorite psalms, he said, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you. Because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Even later in Ephesians, Paul tells us in Ephesians 2.10, my favorite verse. You are the masterpiece of God created for the master's purpose. Think about this for just a second. There are approximately about 7 billion people living on planet earth right now. But not one of them has your fingerprint has your retina scan, or has your DNA. You are unique. You are the only you that there is. You're an original design. See, diamonds are expensive because they're rare, but you are not rare. You're the only you that exists or ever will exist, and that makes you priceless. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There was great intention and great design. So there was a beginning So there is purpose. Because God created everything in this world, he knows how things should work. And so then as you continue to read down Genesis 1, you could see how God spoke, how things came into being, how things were formed and everything came into existence. But then I want to draw your attention to verse 26 of chapter 1. Verse 26, Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 says, Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over everything on the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on this earth. Verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created a male and female. He created them. Here's our second thought for today, and it is that we are all image bearers of God. 
We are all image bearers of God. Again, Genesis is telling us that there was a beginning. God had great purpose and great design, and he created that, but he also created relationships. And God made us in his image. And so the question for us today is, do you see the image of God in other people? Do you see the image of God in the people you work with? Do you see the image of God in the person you're dating, that you're engaged to? Do you see the person of God that you're married to? Do you see the person of God that uh, cut you off on 24 when you're going to Nashville, right? Like I don't see any image bearers of God on 24 at all. So maybe you're holier than I am. Do you see the image of God on the person who cut you off on Wilma? Like that's another problem that I have. But the reality is we are all image bearers of a good God. And in a day and age in which we're looking for the words of other people to affirm us, in a day and age where self-esteem is very low, but loneliness and depression are on the rise, I want to remind you today that you have worth and you have value, that you are the image bearer of God, and that's how he sees you when he looks at you. I have three boys. They're six, eight, and ten. And I love those boys, and they give me great uh, illustrations here on a Sunday. They teach me a lot about God the Father as well. They teach me a lot about life, and I love those boys. And we might be hanging around the house and we might be doing something, eating together as a family. We might be out and about at Target helping mom out, you know. And so we go to those places, we do those things, and I see the image of their mom in them. And it stirs my affections for them. And then we could just be hanging out at the house doing whatever, and I see my image in them, and I go, I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> my apologies. No, I don't do that. When I see my image in them, it stirs my affections for them as well. There could be times that I'm frustrated. I'm aggravated. There could be times where I'm discouraged. But when I look at them, I am always reminded that there is nothing they could do that would make me love them any less. Now you take that and you multiply it like by a billion. That's how God looks at you when he sees you. Here's the thing I want to challenge you with today. That person right now who's driving you crazy that person at work, uh, that person at class, that person you live next to, maybe even the person you are married to right now, (laughs) whoever it is in your life right now who's driving you absolutely crazy, look at them and see the image of God that's within them. Remember that they too are image bearers of a good God. And if you can't see the image of God in them, be like me and pray that God would reveal that to you, especially when you're driving to Nashville. Pray that God would reveal that they are image bearers of God. And they may be driving you absolutely crazy and you don't have to like them, but you can love them because they're an image bearer of God. We are all image bearers of a good God. Here's the third thing. God is relational and we are too. God is relational and we are too. Look at verse 26 again. It says, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. We see some plurality happening there. And, and you might be thinking, well, what, who is God talking to in this? Well, it's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, or what we would know as the Trinity. But, and, and what we're reading here in verse 26 is that God is a relational God. Now, the Trinity is not three different gods in one person. It's one God existing in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The way that it's been described to me is it's his presence, his power, and his position. 
But, but we don't really have time to get into the Trinity and all of that. But here's a bigger picture. Here's what I really want you to see today. That the Trinity shows us that God is relational. And he has built that into you and into me. That's the reason why we all crave relationships. It's the reason why if babies are not held, if they're not talked to, if they're not loved, it will set them back developmentally. Relationships have been hardwired into all of us. We are all longing for a social connection. And so what I'm seeing here is that before we could truly be a reflection, before we could truly uh, be those image bearers of God, there needed to be more than one. There needed to be at least two. And God does something about this. And so you may have to flip the page to Genesis 2. Genesis 2, we're going to look at skipping down all the way to verse 18. And it says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. Let's pause right there for just a second, because this verse should shock us. This verse should stop us dead in our tracks. You know, in high school or in college, I had teachers who would throw books down or get in people's face and yell at them to shock us, to startle us, to wake us up from the boringness that math class was, you know? My mom, who taught math, actually, uh, she, when people would fall asleep, she would shoot people with a Nerf gun to wake them up, you know? <laughs> she would throw things at them, and now everybody's a little sensitive about that, but, you know, like that was a good time. She could shoot people with that stuff to wake them up, to startle them, and that's what's happening here in verse 18. This verse is meant to stop us, to wake us up dead in our tracks, Because up until this point, absolutely everything in God's creation was good. He was looking at things. He was like, that's good. That's good. That's great. Love that. That's good. But this is the first time that God said that something wasn't good. And it's when he looked at Adam. And he said, that is not good. That man should be alone. I need to do something about it. What we're reading really in verse 18 is the first crisis in all of the Bible. And so God looks at the man. He says, it is not good that he's alone. I will make a helper fit for him. And then verse 19, now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of heaven. And he brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from man, he made into woman and brought her to the man. And I love that because all the animals, men were all made out of the dust, but God made the woman unique out of man's side. And there's so much there to unpack and to talk about. And maybe we'll do it some other time, but I love that verse. And then in verse 23, the man said, this at last, or some translations might say finally, or maybe if it was like me, I'd be like, it's about time. (laughs) This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. God is relational and we are too because we are made in his image. Now, this passage is not just primarily for people who are married or just for males and females. There's it's more broad than that. There is tremendous effect for human relationships in general found in these verses. It's not good for us to be alone. 
to be isolated from other human beings. Why? Because you were created in the image of God. I read a poll uh, this week that said half of the people surveyed in this poll, half of them said that they suffer from loneliness weekly. I've read numerous articles about how loneliness, depression, suicide is all on the rise since 2020. Since we all had to isolate and quarantine and, and be by ourselves. And by the way, I never like saying social distance because we are social beings. And to me, that communicated the wrong thing. Physically distant, that was fine. I would say physically distant, but I would never say social because we are made in the image and likeness of God. He is social and we bear that image as well. It's interesting to me in a day and age in which we are so connected in so many different ways. We, never, we feel more isolated than ever before. The aches of our loneliness today is just an echo of the very first crisis found in the Bible. And it's that of community. You see, Adam, he was lacking a human counterpart. And I don't know how long it takes to name animals. I mean, I'm sure it takes a long time. But he's probably reminded that none of them are like him. He probably admired them. He's probably like, that's incredible, elephant. That's an amazing giraffe. Look at that hippo over there. As he's just naming all of them, he's probably reminded as he's sitting there going, I'm all alone. Human community was not yet possible. So God creates the woman out of Adam's rib. And Adam recognizes it immediately. He's like, she is like me. She's different, but she is like me. And I like to think before they became man and wife, before God becomes the first pastor, the first father to give his daughter away, before all of that happened, before they, they lived out the command, be fruitful and multiply, I like to think that Adam and Eve stood there and they were friends, forming the very first human community. And Adam looked at Eve and he said, at last, somebody I can connect with. See, God created woman because God is relational and we are too. And I love those words in verse 23, at last. Because my guess is that there are many of you who've shouted those very same words from your heart as well. When you finally found that friend that you connected with immediately, you had the same interests, the same hobbies. It felt like you guys could talk forever. I'm sure those words, at last, a friend who gets me, who understands me, I'm sure has been shouted from your heart. You're waiting for that guy to ask you on a date and he finally asks you out and you're like, at last. You're waiting for him to propose, at last. You're waiting to get married, at last. You become a parent for the first time. You're like, oh no, you know? <laughs> and then after all of the heaviness weighs off, you probably shouted, at last. We all from time to time have shouted those words from our heart, at last. Because God is a relational God and we are created in his image. So we are relational beings as well. C.S. Lewis said this, we are born helpless. As soon as we are fully conscious, we discover loneliness. We need others physically, emotionally, intellectually. We need them if we are to know anything, even ourselves. And I love that because I think that fully captures that verse perfectly. At last, I was lonely, but now I have community. 
God is a relational God. And because we've been made in his image, his relational image, we were made for loving relationships. God created community with him and with each other. But then, of course, we know Genesis chapter 3 happens. And if you've been around church, you know how the story goes. The serpent comes and he's trying to tempt Eve and tell her, oh, eat of this fruit. It's okay. God doesn't know what he's talking about. It's fine. You'll be okay. At first, she's kind of resistant, but then eventually she gives in. And she eats of the fruit and Adam eats of the fruit as well. And then in verse seven, it says this. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees in the garden. Here's the last idea for us today. We broke community, but God will redeem it. We broke community, but God will redeem it. What we're reading here in Genesis 3 is the consequences of humanity's fall into sin. And it was relational. Human community was once innocent and perfect, enjoying a loving relationship with their God. They had that vertical relationship and they had that horizontal relationship, enjoying community with one another. But it all got disturbed. Adam and Eve's eyes were opened. Trust and authenticity melted away. And for the very first time, they felt shame. They felt the need to have to protect themselves, to defend themselves. They covered up and they hid from each other and they hid from God. And don't we do that as well? Don't we try to hide our true selves? We come to church and we hide our true selves from other people. We hide our true selves from other people in our house, in our families. We even hide our true selves from God. You see, this image of this relational God is stamped on us, but it's been distorted because of our sin. And this is exactly why we find ourselves longing for a loving community at the same time we're trying to run and hide from it. See, one of the things I think we could all agree on is what makes life so gratifying and satisfying is relationships. When you think about some of the most joy-filled moments in your life, the best moments in your life, I guarantee you someone else was involved. Think about having coffee with somebody. Long walks on a beach and the sunset. Playing with your kids on the playground. When we think about some of the most joy-filled moments in our life, I guarantee you someone else is involved. There's some sort of relational connection. But then I think we could also agree that some of the more painful, complex moments in our life is because of relationships. The betrayals, the breakups, the heartache, You know, I know uh, a couple months ago, we all were enjoying the memes of Johnny Depp and Amber Heard, and and we're enjoying all that, and we're sitting back and forth, and we're laughing and all of that. But the reality is it's heartbreaking to see a couple who once loved each other break apart. Even in the church, where loving relationships should have the best chance of flourishing, Community is still a challenge. It requires effort, intentionality. It takes a lot of work. It can be painful. There's sacrifice. And quite frankly, sometimes pursuing community is extremely risky. 
And if I haven't convinced you on community yet, let me just tell you, you might be thinking, well, why is this important? Why is community even worth pursuing? And the Bible would tell us over and over and over again, yes, it is. Why? Because it's God's dream and it has not changed. You and I are made for God's dream. We were created for community. Getting there will have its challenges, but God's dream for community will one day be realized. I love what it says in Revelation 21. It's a picture of the end of time and and Jesus returns to the earth and it says in Revelation 21, verse three, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eye. There will be no more death or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. The beginning, we see what community was supposed to, be, was supposed to look like. We broke it, but at the very end, it'll, it'll, God's dream will become fully realized. This is where all of human history is headed. And if you're a follower of Jesus today, this is good news for your relationships, because you will be in on God's dream. Your soul's hunger for perfect, unbroken community will one day be satisfied. God created humans in his own relational image, but our sin has separated us from God. But God had a plan to take care of this. God sent his son Jesus to this earth to live and die and rise again. There was God and God the Father and God the Son. They enjoyed a loving community with one another. But it was broken because of our sin. God and sin cannot exist, cannot be in the same room together. And so there was broken community between God the Father and God the Son. That's why when you see Jesus dying on the cross for the sins of the world, he'll say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's because their community was broken. But Jesus died so that in him, in Christ, you and I could be forgiven and restored into a loving relationship a loving community with God and with each other. See, we broke community, but God redeemed it. And so today I want to leave you with some action steps. Every time we gather, we should always take some action. Sometimes we'll just give it right up to you and say, this is the action you should take in light of all of this. And other times you just got to figure it out for yourself and say, Lord, what do I do with what I just heard? And so I'm going to make it super easy for us today. The first action step I want you to make is connect with a group. This week, in fact, in about five minutes, we're going to, group uh, signups are going to launch. And so you're going to get online and you're going to be finding a different group. Uh, We have sermon-based groups. We have topical groups. We have D groups. We have all kinds of different groups meeting at different times throughout the week. And I want to encourage you to engage, to go online, to sign up for a group. You may have to even wait a couple hours. You may have to go home, have a little lunch, maybe take a little nap, but then gather together as a family and say, what are we going to do? We need to be in community. In light of all of this, this is what we were designed for. This is what we were created for. And to say no to that is to reject God's plan for our lives. And so you may have to say no to some very good things. You may have to say no to some very hard things that you really want to do. I want to let you know that this is something that I'm not just telling you to do because I don't think you have enough going on or because I don't think you're busy enough. 
And I just want to fill your calendar with more things. I'm telling you this because this is something that my wife and I have done for years. Even this year, we're being more intentional with leading a group. We understand. And there's some things that we're saying no to for our kids and for us that are good things, that are hard things to say no to. But we're doing it because we believe that community is important. And so I would challenge you. Look at your calendars. Look at what you might have to say no to so that you can say yes to something better. But here's the second action step I want you to take. And it's to make a vow of stability. Now, some of you, you might hear this and you're like, what? Like, this is my first time. Is this church a cult? Like, you know, what's going on here? No, it's nothing like that. In fact, this week I read about a vow of stability. And it was something that ancient Christian monasteries, they would make their monks say, make this vow, because it helped them stick with the same faith community for the long haul. You might be thinking, well, why is this important? Why is this kind of commitment wise? Well, simply put, people are messy. And because people are messy, relationships are messy. So we should expect messiness. So when community life got hard for a monk, it would be so tempting for him to want to pick up everything and just leave and go and abandon the community that he had. But they had a saying, and it went like this. When you run from community, you run from yourself. When you run from community, you're running from yourself. When you run from community, you are running from the part in you that's contributing to the messiness. You want to get away from others because you don't want to face what's happening to you and in you. And when you run from community, you are robbing yourself of what God wants to do in and through you. Now, of course, there are times when Jesus or when God will legitimately call you out of one church into another church. So don't get me wrong there. There are legitimate times for that. But for the most part, our default posture needs to be one of stability of sticking to the church, the people of God that he has called us to through thick and thin. Because here's the reality. Church relationships, they'll get messy. Why? Because people are messy. So expect messiness. And so when you're in relationship with someone, you're in community, you're serving with someone, there's going to be messiness. And to make a vow stability means I'm going to stick with it. I'm going to stick through it. I'm through thick and thin. I'm going to be here. Because God has called me to these people. Because the reality is, it'll be so easy for you to want to pick up and just go down to the church down the street. But let me let you in on something. You're bringing your messiness with them. And the grass isn't always greener on the other side. Why? Because people are messy. So expect messiness. But just like our marriages and our families, when we stick through it, When we stick through the messiness, that's when Jesus does his best work in us and through us, molding us and shaping us into the image of God. It's when we stay and we work through the messiness of community, the kind of community we were created for. Life can be truer, deeper, and richer. Thanks for joining us for this message from Awaken Church. We'd love to hear how this message or the ministry of Awaken has impacted your life. Let us know at awaken.church forward slash my story.